0: Witness Docs from Stitcher.
1: Welcome back to Verified. I'm your host, Natasha Del Toro. September 2013. Almost four years after Allen and Dean first filed suit against Johnson & Johnson, it was time to go to court. The trial was just a few days away, But Allen was now $250,000 in debt because of the case. He'd borrowed from friends and family, even taken out loans to pay expenses while he worked on the case. He'd only get paid back if Dean won. Cash was so tight that he didn't even have the money to ship his files from Mississippi to South Dakota for the trial. Instead, he packed them into boxes, loaded them into a friend's SUV, and began the 20-hour drive to Sioux Falls.
2: And that's how the Smith Law Firm rolled up to South Dakota. We didn't roll in like Johnson Johnson did. All their people bringing their boxes behind them, their staff and everything like that. No, it was me, me and my paralegal loading a U Suburban up and riding 20 hours to South Dakota.
1: The courthouse in Sioux Falls is an imposing Romanesque building that dates back to the 1890s. And takes up a whole city block its foyer is filled with memorabilia about u.s marshals old photographs and art
2: but i'll never forget walking through those courthouse doors in that federal courthouse in downtown sioux falls south dakota i remember saying my goodness this is, this courthouse has been here for a long time
1: inside alan met greg iceland a local lawyer Alan had partnered with on the case because he wasn't licensed to practice law in South Dakota.
2: And he is an older guy, older lawyer, real experienced trial lawyer in South Dakota, and a prince of a guy. And um, after I talked to him for about 10 minutes, I knew that's exactly
3: the guy that I wanted. The very first day Jim dropped me off in front of the courthouse, that was scary, scary. And I walked up those stairs and it was like almost being on a TV show where you've seen people go into court. And this was an old courtroom. It was not a new building.
1: Dean didn't want to go into the courtroom alone, but her husband Jim was a witness in the trial and couldn't join her until after he had testified.
3: And uh, walking in there and sitting down at that little table on the right-hand side, and the other lawyers are on the other side. Plaintiff's on the right, uh,
2: defense on the left, and they had about six attorneys sitting at the table, and it was me and my paralegal sitting on our table, and then behind them in all the rows was lawyers, paralegals, staff, and it was it was a packed side on their side, and our side looked like uh, nobody showed up for the game. But uh, it was just like I envisioned it. To say that we were um, outnumbered is, uh, is putting it mildly. There was nobody sitting in the audience behind us except my parents. My parents drove up because they wanted to watch me do this. My mom says it's better than watching a soap opera. Her and my dad go to all my trials.
1: Christina Wilcox also walked into court that day, called to serve as a juror on the case. She was born in Sioux Falls and has lived there for more than 50 years. She married in her first year of college and then worked at Citibank while raising two boys. This was her first time on jury duty, and Christina had learned just enough to make her realize what a big deal this case was. Oh
4: my goodness, it's just it's overwhelming. This is a big thing. We're talking Johnson and Johnson. Oh my gosh, this poor lady. You know, and then in my mind I remember my own personal struggles through my cancer.
1: Christina was treated for lymphoma a decade earlier, but she tried not to let that sway her as she listened to opening arguments.
4: They start to give you the background of the case, what had happened, what started, how Deanne met her lawyer, how those two worked together to get to where we were at. The Representative Johnson and Johnson had explained why they were there too, to assure us of all the testing that had been done in the past that their product is safe to use.
1: After the opening statements, it was time to call witnesses. Alan got to make his case to the jury first. And one of the first experts he called to the stand was Dr. Kramer, the scientist who determined that the talc found in Dean's ovarian tissue caused her cancer. Kramer told the jury about his decades of research on the link between talc and cancer. He explained how talc enters the body, how the body responds, and then how cancer develops. According to Kramer, it starts with inflammation, which is how your immune system responds to an irritant.
5: Talc is a potent inflammatory agent. Talc on the perineum will get into the vagina. Talc in the vagina will get into the endometrial cavity. Talc in the endometrial cavity will get into the fallopian tubes. And you see reactions to the talc in the fallopian tube. That's after it's damaged the DNA in the uh, fallopian tube tissue or the ovarian tissue.
1: Kramer's takeaway? That chronic inflammation can cause DNA damage and lead to cancer. And talc was the cause of chronic inflammation in Deanberg's ovaries. Kramer also described research that he'd done back in 1999, which estimated that one out of every 10 cases of ovarian cancer could have been caused by exposure to talc. About 22,000 women are diagnosed with ovarian cancer each year. So by his math, about 2,200 of those cases could be attributed to talc use. Dean sat there quietly listening to all of this and it was hitting close to home. At certain points in the testimony, images of Dean's ovarian tissue blown up under a microscope were displayed on huge screens for the jury. They looked more like abstract paintings than an identifiable piece of her but still, it was tough for her to see that such a private part of her had become so public.
3: It was kind of shocking for myself to have to sit there and look up on the screen and see my own ovarian tissue in front of everyone in this courtroom and see the talcum powder particles in it, knowing that that was the cancer-causing agent. And um, it wasn't easy. There were times when I would sit there trying to fight back tears at The table, trying not to show any type of emotion at all. But believe me, it was hard. There were times I really wanted to break down crying because it was like, this is what did it to me.
1: When it was finally Dean's turn to testify, she told the jury about her diagnosis and treatment, how the cancer had affected her life.
3: And that is pretty scary when you get up there and you've got to take the oath and you're sitting next to this judge and everyone in the courtroom's looking at you. And suddenly their lawyer comes up to you and starts asking you these questions.
1: Ellen had her describe her talc use over 30 years in great detail where she used, why she used. She answered question after question about her diagnosis of ovarian cancer, her two surgeries, and her chemotherapy.
3: And The eyes that some of those lawyers had, too, it was just glaring. And it really puts you on the defense.
1: Johnson & Johnson's lawyers suggested that since Dean's cancer had been in remission for more than five years, it was unlikely it would come back. She responded that she'd seen patients whose cancer returned after 15 years of remission.
3: And then it got to the point, finally, where... The testimony was over with, and instead of waiting to get discharged from the stand, I forgot. I stood up and started to walk off. The judge goes, stop, you're not discharged yet, or whatever they call it, from the stand. Oh, I'm sorry. I went back. I felt so embarrassed, but I was so nervous up there that it was like I wasn't thinking. I just wanted to get off that chair, because if you felt like you were on the electric chair. Everybody was looking at you, and... You know, no matter what you said, every word counted.
1: We don't have recordings of the trial. The court in Sioux Falls wouldn't share them with us, but we were able to get recordings of some of the depositions that were played for the jury. Depositions are testimony under oath that lawyers record before a trial, and they can be played in court if the witness can attend the trial in person. Lorena Tolofsky, who worked in R&D for Johnson & Johnson, specializing in baby products, was one of the witnesses who appeared at the trial through her video deposition.
2: You wouldn't agree with me that there have been over 20 epidemiological studies that show an increased risk of ovarian cancer from the perineal use of talent.
3: I don't agree with that statement. There are... Uh, clearly studies which show no statistical significance. There is still no clinical significance. There's no biological um, significance.
1: Talovsky testified that perineal use of baby powder, baby powder in the genital area, didn't make women more likely to develop cancer. Allen tried again, this time phrasing the question a little differently.
2: During the exposure period of my client to talc-based body powders, would you agree with me that Johnson & Johnson was aware of studies that showed an increased risk of ovarian cancer with the perinatal use of talcum powder?
3: The body of literature, again, over about you know, several decades, show different things, depending on the study. And essentially, taken as a collective weight of the evidence, they do not show a link a causal link. Uh, Some of the studies show no statistical correlation and some show very weak.
1: What she's saying is that there were lots of studies that looked for a link between talc and cancer. And lots of them didn't find one. Or at least they didn't find a link that was meaningful enough to suggest talc might cause cancer. It was basically the he said, she said of science. Your study says one thing, I can point to one that says the opposite. Johnson & Johnson also called a pathologist to the stand. He said that it was physically impossible for the talc and baby powder to travel through the genital tract into a woman's ovaries. The pathologist said that what was found in Dean's ovarian tissues wasn't talc. Allen brought out J&J internal documents to show the jury that the company did not act in the best interests of its customers and therefore was negligent.
2: And the way I proved that they breached that conduct was by these documents where they're acknowledging the risk, acknowledging being compared to the cigarette industry if they deny the risk, showing that they're releasing false information and their own toxicologist is saying that is absolutely false and inaccurate That's you're releasing false information that the studies don't show an increased risk. There are nine studies more by now, and this is in 1997, that do show a risk.
1: But there was one point that Jane J argued that made Alan nervous. Its lawyers listed off a handful of government agencies, the Food and Drug Administration, the National Toxicology Program, the National Cancer Institute. All of them could have recommended the company put a warning on its talc products if they thought they weren't safe. But no agency ever did. Alan could see how that was a very convincing point for the jury.
2: The problem with that is that the law says that the duty to warn is on the cosmetic company, not on other people telling them what to do. They have their own individual responsibility to place a warning on their product when they see there's a risk of a disease or a harm. You can't shift the burden to say, hey, they didn't tell me to do it, so we didn't do it. That's not what the law says.
1: And this issue about a warning label... This is what Allen thought was one of his strongest arguments. When he was digging through Johnson & Johnson's internal documents, he discovered that Luzenac, one of its talc suppliers, had actually put a warning on the talc they sold the company. He introduced a man named John Hopkins to the jury, a former J&J employee who the company had chosen to represent them as a witness. Hopkins' work with Johnson & Johnson spanned almost 40 years. He was a toxicologist in the company's medical department and then became a consultant when he retired in 2001. He knew the company's history inside and out. Hopkins lived in the U.K. and couldn't appear in court, so Allen played his deposition for the jury.
2: Johnson & Johnson produced a lot of documents to me. Um, email correspondence, studies, a lot of correspondence between Johnson & Johnson and Lusinac. Did you review any of those documents in preparation for your deposition today? I would have reviewed some of those where they're applicable. Would you agree with me that Luzonac, your supplier of talc for your talc-based body powders provided warning information regarding the association of the perineal use of talc and ovarian cancer and its MSDS sheet starting in 2006.
0: Do you have a copy of that MSDS sheet? Sure.
1: Alan handed Hopkins a material safety data sheet. This is a document the companies compile listing the hazardous ingredients in substances that its workers may have to handle, along with their possible health implications.
0: Okay, well, I've... I've, uh read the MSDS sheet. Could you answer, ask the question again, please? Would you agree with me that
2: Luzanac, your supplier of talc for your talc-based body powders, placed warning information in its MSDS sheets regarding the association of the perineal use of talc and ovarian cancer?
0: What the MSDS sheet says is that IARC has concluded that perineal use of talc-based body powder is possibly carcinogenic to humans.
1: IARC is the International Agency for Research on Cancer. It's a part of the World Health Organization. Hopkins is explaining that IARC was the source of the warning on that talc safety sheet that using talc on your genital area could possibly cause cancer in people.
0: This is not a route of exposure relevant for workers and applies to one specific use of talc only.
1: In other words, the warning applied to workers handling raw talc, not to consumers. But to Allen, that distinction didn't matter. The point was that Luzinac, J&J's talc supplier, had included a warning about the risks of genital talc use, and J&J didn't pass that warning along.
2: Would you agree with me that that same information is not does not appear on any Johnson & Johnson talc-based body powder?
0: I would agree with you.
2: Okay, thank you, Doc. Would you agree with me that ovarian cancer is a potential hazard associated with the perineal use of talc-based body powders? Rephrase the question again? Sure. Would I? Would you agree with me that ovarian cancer is a potential hazard associated with the perineal use of talc-based body powders. No, I would
0: not agree with you.
1: Hopkins did not agree with Alan, or with j js talc supplier, or with an international health agency, all of whom said that perineal use of talc could possibly cause cancer. Alan pressed on.
2: Are you familiar with the National Cancer Institute? Yes. Are they a reputable organization?
0: That they would be considered reputable, yes.
2: And it says, the following risk factors may increase the risk of ovarian cancer. Would you agree or, or disagree that family history of ovarian cancer is a risk factor for ovarian cancer?
0: It is recognized as a risk factor,
2: yeah. Hormone replacement therapy.
0: That is a recognized risk factor. Fertility drugs. Yeah, I'm not familiar with the epidemiology on fertility drugs, but let's, let's leave that aside. Obesity? Certainly is a risk factor.
2: Yeah. And talc?
0: That's not a risk factor. Okay.
2: Would you disagree with the National In- Cancer Institute if they say talc may increase the risk of ovarian cancer? I would disagree.
1: Allen continued to ask Hopkins about study after study and numerous other warnings linking talc and cancer. But Hopkins disagreed with them all.
2: And despite all of that that's gone on in 30 years, Johnson & Johnson has chosen not to place any warning information on its talc-based body powders regarding ovarian cancer. Is that correct?
0: What you've listed are opinions, and many of those are not scientifically valid or have been validated and have not been tested appropriately. Part of the scientific process is to take a note of all the literature, to seek the truth, to review it. Once that information is pulled together, then an opinion can be made. Right now, that opinion is, in my view, that there is no causal relationship between ovarian cancer and talc use.
1: After eight days of evidence and testimony, it was time for the jurors to make their decision. And that's when Christina Wilcox, who was named the jury forewoman, said the seriousness of their work hit home. As the forewoman, she communicates with the jury on behalf of the judge, makes sure the jurors understand the deliberation process, and announces the verdict. She's the spokesperson for the jury. So
4: when the judge says, now it's your time to deliberate and come up with a decision, that, for me personally, was just, wow, this is it. This is big. we got to do
1: something. Allen knew the judge had sent the jury three key questions to consider.
2: Do you believe Johnson & Johnson should have placed a warning on their product, yes or no? Question number two. Do you believe Miss Berg's use of Johnson Johnson's baby powder in the genital area was a contributing cause to her ovarian cancer? Yes or no? Number three, award of actual damages or, or economic damages, that being her medical bills cost that we put in that was like a hundred or $200,000. And then you had award for compensatory damages or those damages to compensate her for pain and suffering and her surgery and her worry about recurrence of cancer and
1: things like that. While the jury deliberated, Dean and her husband Jim tried to keep busy. They went for a walk and then to a restaurant for lunch. Then they came back to the courthouse and waited. After a few hours, the jury sent some questions to the judge. They wanted to know the definition of the word defective. They also wanted to see a bottle of baby powder to read the instructions They asked who got punitive damages if they were awarded. And then they asked, what should they do if they could not come to a unanimous decision? That question really rattled Allen.
2: You know, in state courts, if I get 9 out of 12 people, they can return a verdict for me. In federal court, all 12 people have to agree for a verdict.
1: Dean was worried about how long everything was taking
3: It took hours that first day and we all waited and waited and waited and there was nothing that came back from the jury room, they were all in there deliberating and finally the judge calls us all back into court again and she says the jury is hung right now Uh, so she said I'm going to talk with them and see if we can get some type of decision made so we had to come back the next day
1: The next day, the forecast called for an early snowstorm. The city was starting to shut down, and the judge asked the lawyers if they planned to stay for the verdict. As a Southerner, Alan had little experience driving in snow, and he didn't want to get stuck in Sioux Falls. His partner, Greg Iceland, volunteered to wait with Dean. He told Alan there was no need for both of them to be there.
5: It was a big, you know, a big national storm. We talked about it. And uh, I know, I said, you just take off. I'm here.
1: So Alan got in his borrowed SUV and headed south. Greg and Dean waited for the jury to return. That afternoon, after a day and a half of deliberations the jury finally sent a note to the judge that they had reached a decision. Greg Iceland had knots in his stomach as everyone filed back into the courtroom.
5: A day and a half, that's unusual for a jury. Most, uh, you know, if you're in, uh, you always hear in criminal cases, well, they were out two, three days. Well, the person was charged with 15 different counts or something like that. And so the jury had to go through all types of things. Here we were we're talking about strict liability or negligence. And uh, typically a jury is never out a day and a half on when you have just two issues uh, to take care of. So yeah, I was nervous.
3: That last day, Johnson & Johnson's lawyers, other side with their notebooks, They were smiling ear to ear. They had figured they had won this case and there was no problem. So the jury walks in and handed the verdict to the judge.
1: The judge read the verdict to herself. Dean watched closely.
3: And she glanced it over and kind of had an expression on her face of kind of shock that she was kind of surprised about something that was on the, the paper.
1: On the first question, strict liability for failure to warn of a danger. The jury ruled in favor of Johnson & Johnson. Then the judge read the second question, negligence on the part of Johnson & Johnson for not putting a warning on the product or not providing adequate instructions as to how to use the product. Negligence that caused Dean's cancer. And here... The jury ruled in favor of Dean.
3: Well, then the courtroom went silent. And I looked over, and the Johnson & Johnson lawyers' faces suddenly stopped smiling. Notebooks slammed shut, and it was very quiet. And then, damages? None.
1: That meant no money for Dean.
3: And... I sat there as we were all standing up in the courtroom, and I said, that's weird. No damages? And yet they're guilty?
5: And then when they add the amount of damage, zero, I was just dumbfounded.
1: It took Dean a minute or two to process what was happening. She thought, how is it that they didn't award any compensation? No money to make up for her time out of work or her medical costs. Nothing for the economic impact of her cancer or for her pain and suffering. It was a really strange decision. I mean, this case wasn't about money for Dean. After all, she'd turned down that settlement. But still, it was pretty shocking when the jury said it wasn't awarding any damages. Zero. Greg Iceland had been practicing law for almost 50 years, and he couldn't believe it.
5: I've never seen such a thing or heard such a thing, that they're found negligent, that they caused the damage, but that the damage was zero.
1: Greg felt like he'd failed Dean. But to Dean, this felt like a win.
5: Dean turned to me right away and gave me a great big hug. And she said, we won. She goes, they said they were negligent and they caused my cancer. She goes, I don't care about the money. We won. We told them that their product and we proved their product caused my cancer. She had tears in her eyes and go, they believed me. They believed me. Johnson & Johnson caused this
1: cancer. Christina Wilcox says she and her fellow jurors spent a lot of time talking about the question of whether J&J should have put a warning label on their talc products.
4: If you knew it, why didn't you put that on? And that was going on even years and years ago that they knew. Even though they're still trying to deny that this could ever happen you know, because they test their products, still do it. Just do it. Why wouldn't you do that for the public? Why wouldn't you do that to consumers for their safety, for their health?
1: And the lack of damages for Dean? Well, Christina Wilcox says the jury was just plain confused about the judge's instructions.
4: A lot of us did not like the instructions and how the verbiage and everything was worded and when it came to our decision-making, because we didn't know that there would be two separate questions into one question, just wishing we could have given her money, but we don't know if we did the right thing or not because of how everything was worded. It was a very confusing thing for us.
1: I have to say, I read those key questions given to the jury and the judge's instructions, and I had trouble understanding them, too. Christina says the jury thought, because they split the questions, one in favor of Jane Jay and one against, that they weren't allowed to award Dean any damages. We reached out to several other members of the jury to confirm her account, but didn't hear back.
3: And the jury all walked by us as they were leaving. Nobody looked at me. Nobody said a word. I just kept stoic. For the first
1: time, a jury found J&J negligent for not warning consumers about talc and that this negligence caused a woman's cancer. And yet, J&J received no punishment, no penalty or cost for that negligence. There was no money for Dean nothing to repay the debt allen had incurred working on the case or compensate him for his time
3: and quickly the lawyers from johnson and johnson's side left fast they just took off from that courtroom there was not one look at me they just looked like they had this face on like oh my gosh now what
1: johnson and johnson lawyers didn't talk to anyone as they left the courtroom not even a local journalist who asked how they felt about the trial's outcome. Alan heard the news three hours into his drive south. Greg Iceland called him and said, "We won one count, but no money."
2: It was just a little confusing, and so everybody was kind of baffled, and it was just kind of a weird feeling. I, you know, I just didn't. I was happy and relieved, but I was disappointed. What actually just happened? I mean, nobody, you know, it's kind of like, what, what what, just happened here? And as I stepped away from it for a few days and a week or so, I realized the magnitude of what I, what, I, what he accomplished. The jury in the, one of the most conservative states in the country unanimously determined that Johnson & Johnson should put a warning on their product and that their product was a cause of my client's ovarian cancer. That is Huge, huge. huge! So now Miss Berg is going to be able to let the public know because the trial and all the documents and everything that was filed is on PACER, it's on the federal website for the world to see.
1: And that was Dean's real victory. From a legal perspective, a jury had said that Jane js powder had caused her ovarian cancer. And that verdict essentially gave Dean a giant megaphone she could use to warn other women.
3: I started getting telephone calls from different newspapers wanting to do interviews. I got a call from the doctor's show in L.A. I flew out there and did a show on it. I was pleased in a sense because it was like, even though I didn't get any damages or anything for this, the word was out there. And because of that reason, Johnson & Johnson had to face up to this. They had to defend themselves in more trials. And there was going to be more and more research done on this.
1: For decades, Jane Jay had tried to keep the debate about the risks of talc private, behind closed doors. And now Dean and Allen had cracked those doors open just a bit. The documents that J&J had to turn over as part of this case gave the public its first glimpse into how the company responded to concerns about the safety of talc. It attracted the attention of other lawyers who sought clients of their own to bring new cases against J&J. Because of all those cases, there are now more than two million documents, internal emails, Memos, marketing plans, reports, and letters available to the public that were once locked away. Next time on Verified, we shine a spotlight on that evidence, tracing JJ's long battle to keep baby powder on store shelves with no warning and to protect the image of safety that was the hallmark of their entire brand.
5: How can I put it? I acted like a little bit of a firefighter for for, for Johnson & Johnson. If there was a sample that had been vilified by somebody, (laughs) then they would normally say, you know, would you look at this just to check that out?
1: Stay with us. Dust up. Our second season of Verified is reported by Sandra Bartlett and Jim Morris. It's written and produced by me, Natasha Del Toro, Sandra Bartlett, Tracy Samuelson, Suzanne Reber, and senior producer Dan Bloom. Additional production by Grant Hill and Claire Rawlinson. Our editors are Peter Clowney, Tracy Samuelson, and Ellen Weiss. Engineering by Casey Holford and Dan Bloom. Our theme and original music are by Allison Leighton Brown. Special thanks to the many women and men who spoke with us on and off the microphone about this story, which spans decades. Verified is created by Suzanne Reber and executive produced by Suzanne Reber, Ellen Weiss, Peter Clowney, and Chris Bannon. The show is produced by the Scripps Washington Bureau in collaboration with Witness Docs, a Stitcher network. If you want to listen to early releases of our verified episodes, sign up for Stitcher Premium at StitcherPremium.com. You can use promo code WITNESS for one month free. There's so much for you to discover about this story and what's coming up on the show. You can find us on Twitter at Veripod and at VerifiedPod on Instagram and Facebook. And if you have a story to tell us, send us a voicemail or an email to verifiedpod at stitcher.com. If you like the show and believe in this kind of storytelling, please give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It'll help more people discover Verified. Thanks for listening. Tasha Del Toro, and this is Verified.